City University Television presents The American Theatre Wing Seminars Working in the Theatre This seminar, Production Welcome to the American Theatre Wing's Working in the Theatre Seminars, now in their 30th year, coming to you from the Graduate Center of the City University of New York. Today's seminar is devoted to the exciting Broadway musical, Big River, with members of the cast and the production team who will learn how this innovative revival of the 1985 Tony Award winning show has once become a Broadway success. I'm Isabel Stevenson, Chairman of the Board of the American Theatre Wing, and so now let me introduce our moderator for the seminar, President of the Rogers and Hammerstein Organization, and Secretary of the Board of Directors of the Wing, Ted Chapin. Ted. Thank you, and welcome, everyone. Uh, before we begin, let's take a look at a little bit of Big River. Those are some scenes from a remarkable production of Big River that is uh, currently playing on Broadway at the Roundabout Theatre as a co-production of the Roundabout and Deaf West Theatre from Los Angeles. And I thought I'd start uh, the program by introducing the panel. Uh, it is my pleasure from my extreme left, Tony Award winner Phyllis Freilich, <laughs> who plays Miss Watson and Sally in other parts in the show. Sitting next to her, Tyrone Giordano, who plays Huckleberry Finn. <laughs> next to him, Daniel Jenkins, who plays the role of Mark Twain and voices Huckleberry Finn. <laughs> Todd Hames, the artistic director of the Roundabout Theatre Company. <laughs> Jeff Calhoun, the director and choreographer of this production. Bill O'Brien, the producing director of Deaf West Theatre. 
And Stephanie Fain, who was a company interpreter during the production and has agreed to interpret for us today. Thank you all. Now, I thought I would begin by asking Todd Hames. Uh, we, we, in New York, uh, the Broadway community certainly knows Roundabout Theatre for a lot of very interesting productions of a variety of, uh, of styles. But I think it's fair to say that this one is a little different than anything you've ever done. How did this one come to be? Um, <clears throat> we were approached by, uh, by Bill O'Brien and his partner, Ed Waterstreet, about this production which had been happening uh, first at their own home theater, at Deaf West, and then subsequently at the Mark Taper Forum. Um, I had read about the production, and, uh, you know, as many times as you read how brilliant it is, there's just something slightly incongruous about a deaf musical. <laughs> um, and, uh, and so they first approached us, because I think, I I'll let Bill speak for himself, but I think they, there was a lot of interest from a lot of people in bringing it to New York City, but I think they felt most comfortable coming to a subscription theater, an institutional theater, similar to what they are in, in California. Um, and at first I was kind of skeptical uh, for the obvious reasons. Um, although, it, you know, it oddly fit in our mission because we do revivals of, of successful musicals. Um, but we try to do revivals of musicals that are not going to be done commercially every five or ten years because that's for commercial theater to do. So we don't do you know, Fiddler on the Roof or Gypsy or things like that. So Big River was a musical that was, was, was a fine musical, probably not likely to be revived commercially. And then, of course, this extraordinary aspect of, of having a half-deaf company. Uh, I think what was most ultimately made the decision for me um, was Rocco Landisman, who now runs Drew Jams and Theaters, but was the original producer uh, of, of Big River on Broadway, whenever that was, in the, in the uh, 80s went out to see it, and he went with, uh, Big River to him is very emotional. Dear to his heart. He's very near to his heart. It was his first, I think his first big musical that he had sort of been part of creating himself and all that. So I know he went out there thinking, I, I, this is silly. <laughs> 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 and, but he went out as a courtesy to, to Bill and to Ed, and, and he called me and said, it's, it's just magnificent. It is magnificent. And anything I can do to help bring that in, I will do. And I think you'd be the perfect home for it. And we thought it would look beautiful in our theater, which is a relatively small Broadway theater. You know, and finally, I guess I would say, as a not-for-profit theater, um, you know, we try to do plays and musicals that are, uh, there's nothing wrong with being commercial, but we try to do pieces that might not normally be given a home in this sort of more cutthroat environment of the commercial <laughs> theater. So all those things put together, we made the decision to do it, and boy, it's been quite a success story. Bill, could you fill us in a little bit on deaf theater? Um, we assume that it's, it's not a theater that does only musicals, mm -hmm. but maybe it is. <laughs> <coughs> no, it's, um, <laughs> Deaf West Theater was founded by Ed Water Street, um, I guess almost 13 years ago now. And I think there's been a migration from it being, um, and Phyllis was there from the start, so she could, she could speak from you know, actual experience about how it's migrated from being um, what it started out as, as something that could actually um, try to bring both of all of these different elements. And Jeff Calhoun is a huge part of being able to take that step of, um, of incorporating all of the different elements that go into a musical and, and making sign language part of the overall theatrical language of the, of the piece. Um, I think one of the things for me that attracted me the most uh, into 
coming to work for Deaf West was that um, I could recognize in Ed and what his mission was. Ed Water Street's the Deaf Artistic Director. <clears throat> um, he was mostly interested in creating moving theater um, and very much not interested in making the deafness some sort of a, um, a liability or a um, statement. A statement or a, um, I think one of the ways I guess to describe it is he doesn't want you to come to Deaf West as an act of of goodness or a philanthropic act and or to go see the the happy handicaps who can you know kind of a thing <laughs> he, it's more of a um, there is something from that culture that is worth everybody getting to share and and it's a um, it's it's a culturally based or it's a language based culture it's not a um, medically based community I think is in terms of especially in the theater and I think there's a little bit of, as he began to play with bringing in talented hearing people, there began to be sort of an alchemy that, that uh, I think it's almost like, hey, that's my chocolate and your peanut butter kind of a thing. What happens <laughs> when, you, you know, when you bring the best of both worlds and, and let it sort of fizz in, fizzle into this new thing? And, and it started happening with some of the straight plays. Um, Streetcar was an example, right, which was right before our first musical. <clears throat> and that was kind of a fully integrated, um, there were hearing and deaf people who were hearing and deaf on the stage and, and people voicing up above. Mm -hmm. And the, the central theme was about miscommunication and, and, and mistrust. And, and it started from a, you know, it was polarized between a hearing Blanche and a profoundly deaf Stanley and then a Stella who was sort of being tugged between both. And then to take it to the next step would have been Ed. When I was hired, he already had Oliver on on the uh, season, and he wanted me to help him produce it. And I had no idea. You know, he said, "So how are we going to do this?" And I said, "I have no idea." He'd already committed us to do it, but um, the first thing we did was fired the director that was <laughs> that was already on board and um, brought in Jeff. And then. <laughs> no, it was a bad joke. <laughs> well, it, it, I mean, it, it was a really scary thing to, to think about. And um, I had worked with Jeff um, a couple summers prior. I had done like 600 per performances of Will Rogers' Follies, and it's all about these stairs coming up and down the stairs in beautiful costumes. And I went to do it this, at uh, Sacramento Music Circus, and it was in the round. And I thought, that, that was almost as preposterous as, as a deaf musical. <laughs> and Jeff came in and, um, and restaged it just on the fly in a very short rehearsal process. And it was just so visually compelling just to be able to make this circular. And it, was, it became a Busby Berkeley you know, thing with the camera up on top and these beautiful pictures happening. And it was, it, I thought, a more beautiful show than, than any of the ones that I'd, I'd been involved in without the stairs. Um, so we called Jeff, and then everything just sort of became brilliant after that. I, I want to make a, a little confession here because, in fact, I worked for the National Theatre of the Deaf many years ago. In fact, I, that's where I first met, met Phyllis. And one of the things that, that pleases me about Deaf West, because this is the first Deaf <coughs> West show that I've seen, 
is that the National Theatre of the Deaf, which I think started, um, and, and both Phyllis and Ed Waterstreet were very much involved in the early days of the National Theatre of the Deaf, and it was exploring a lot of different ways of doing, of doing shows, and it kind of lost its way. And the fact that Ed was able to pick it up, Ed and Phyllis were able to pick it up and really make it into something that is as extraordinary, you know, as this. And in fact, I worked on an opera with the National Theatre of the Deaf, which may be part of why they sort of faded away, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but I wanted to ask Phyllis uh, to a little bit about, um, about Deaf West and what, what traditions of the National Theatre of the Deaf are continued and improved upon by Deaf West. Well, as Bill said, the Deaf West Theatre Company was founded 13 years ago, basically because many of us actors lived in Los Angeles and we had nothing to do. <laughs> we were just hanging around because of TV and filming, that business that was there, hoping that they'd keep their eye on us. <laughs> and, uh, of course, theatre was our first love. And that's why when Deaf West was founded 13 years ago, we were hungry. We were hungry to be on stage. So the first play we did was The Gin Game, which had two deaf actors. It's a two-character play. Two deaf actors. And the hearing actors who voiced for us were off stage because we wanted the focus on the deaf actors. We were actors. We wanted to be the center of attention. And often, <laughs> when somebody's voicing, the hearing audience will wonder, who should I look at? Hearing people tend to follow where the voice comes from. And we wanted the focus to be on us. So that's what was happening. And let me go back a little bit. The National Theater of the Deaf, remember, was a national theater of the deaf and not for the deaf. So, oh, about ten, there were 10 or 12 actors who were deaf and 13, uh, and, and three actors who were voicing. So three actors to voice for 10 or 12 uh, deaf actors. So all, all together was about 15 actors. And the hearing audiences constantly would be looking to where is the voice, where is that voice, who's doing that? And that was the experience that we had with us. So we wanted them out of the way at the beginning. <laughs> now, later on what happened was that Ed saw that there was a need to bring people together. It could have been for fundraising purposes, or Bill certainly could explain more about that later. But he decided to bring the two cultures together and, of course, for us deaf actors, we realized that if we limited ourselves to only a deaf audience, we wouldn't be able to go as far as actors. And we wanted to go further. We wanted to reach more people. We wanted to open the doors to a larger general audience. So that's how it came to pass. And there were a few other productions before you arrived, Bill. For example, Equus, which was a wonderful production that we performed with a mixed cast and a few other shows. Mice and Man and... Oh, yes. Um, I, I mean, there was a lot of great shows. Yeah, sure. Yes, and several other wonderful shows. And then when it came to a musical, Oliver really hit all us on all those levels, and that's why we asked you to do Big River now. <laughs> <laughs> if I can just add that I think, you know, part of what, what Phyllis hit on, the, the notion of doing 
theater w in sign language, first of all, it's done in two languages at the same time, which I think is unique, that it's both English to, to the hearing audience and deaf, and, and sign language, ASL for the, for the, for the deaf audiences. But also, the, the notion of do you take the hearing audiences and put them on the side? Do you put them at podiums on the side? Do you put them visi you know, invisible on the side? Or do you, how far do you bring them onto the stage? And I think one of the extraordinary things about Big River is that you really are hard put, as a hearing audience member, you're hard put to place where, who's deaf and who's hearing, so that you get this whole feeling you know, all as, as one. Which makes me want to ask a question of Daniel Jenkins, because he is in a unique position of having originated the role of Huckleberry Finn in the original production in 1985. And now he's graduated to the author, to Mark Twain, <laughs> uh, but he also gets to voice Huck as well. So what was, th what was that experience like? Uh, it, was, uh, it was kind of surreal at the beginning. Uh, I, I remember uh, the first day of rehearsal, just walking through the room where they were rehearsing Looky Here, Huck. And and I had had one of those tunnel things. <laughs> wow! <laughs> I can't believe this is happening. Um, but uh, yeah, beforehand when they were, when they were talking about it, like it's it's it is an abstract thing uh, until you until you are sitting in the theater watching it and and you get it and and it's powerful quickly. I think the audience goes, "Wow, this is going to be an amazing ride." But when we're talking about it, it's hard. It's just hard to describe. It's hard to make that translation. And for me, it was uh, as well. And then I got in the room with Jeff, and it was clear that Jeff knew what he was doing, had a huge heart. Uh, it was going to be a, a, an experience I would never forget. Uh, and it's easily the most generous uh, process I've ever been a part of uh, from, from, from uh, all levels. Especially uh, from your point of view. I yeah. mean, it takes a tremendously generous actor to... Well, to you know, this, I've realized what it is. It's, um, there are some people who love more than anything to deliver the punchline. Mm -hmm. That they live for the punchline and the laugh and the thing that that makes you feel. And for me, I realized oh, for a long part of my career, I love actually being able to set someone up for that well. Wow. Mm -hmm. And people f kind of forget that you can't just have a punchline. Mm -hmm. You actually need someone, you know, you need Gracie and Alan, you know, <laughs> uh, he, he, he was pretty good by himself, but, you know, uh, uh, so anyway, I, I, that isn't exactly accurate, but there's a joy there, uh, uh, even though I'm saying the punchline, in fact, it, it, Ty is, is, is slamming that sucker home, <laughs> and, in, and in many ways, many people have come up to me saying, you know, Ty could be, is so expressive, he could have his back to the audience and I'd still get it. You know, they uh, are, are so keyed into the character from Ty's point of view, from, uh, from, from what he's doing, that uh, I, I don't know, I, 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 f I feel like a, an honored straight man. <laughs> 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 I, I wanted to, to ask, so to speak. <laughs> 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 yes. It's rare in musical theater. <laughs> <laughs> I want to ask Ty, because um, he, he, he made a very interesting comment about the song Muddy Water. And I thought perhaps before we talk about Muddy Water, th I think there's a clip of it um, if, if we can show it. So let's look at this and then talk about it. Look out for me, look out for me. Oh, Muddy Water, oh, Muddy Water. Mysteries of your memoir. And I got a need. Oh, I'm going someplace. And I got a need to climb upon your back and ride. Look out 
mentioned about uh, hearing the words and, um, and wanting to dig a little deeper with it. Do you want to talk about... Uh, yes. Uh, yes, I feel a little bit concerned when I got the translation for that song, Muddy Water. I felt that I was just signing the same thing over and over again, and I felt something was missing that there was no sense of meaning or of intention behind it. So I asked Dan and Michael McElroy, who plays Jim, if they would not mind singing it for me so I could watch them. <laughs> and I did. I just watched. And I read their faces. And I had my hearing aids on so I could hear their voices. And then I got it. And it made me realize that signing has an equivalent to what the voice can do. I just needed to know what it was that they were singing. And during a musical, during the speaking parts, sign takes precedence. And during the musical numbers, I believe that the voice takes precedence because it is a musical. And it's for more, much more natural for hearing people than signing is. So I decided to follow what Dan and Michael did with their voices. And I took a lot of that and then owned it for myself. Which I was very reluctant to do. I mean, <laughs> when he asked me to do it, I, I was actually really scared because I, the, the entire culture of our process has been about me following Ty. And um, so I was very reluctant at, at the beginning. And, and I still felt like I was, I, I was holding back because I just didn't want to have a performance translated. But I finally understood that, in a way, it was uh, similar to the conversations we were having about stakes and about how, you know, and, and in a song, especially a, a songwriter's musical, adding those stakes to these songs it was complicated in the original, too. I mean, they're, they're, they're tunes. They're not necessarily... Uh, tunes that further the plot <laughs> of their great tunes. So adding stakes to them already becomes complicated. Um, but uh, yeah, that was the, my, my favorite part of the process was, was working on all of those uh, ideas about stakes and, and, and thought and, and how we can join those two uh, as, as, you know, one character. It's interesting exactly. to hear. And also, it's like how it's how sign was foreign to you and music is foreign right, to me. Right, 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 right. So we balanced each other out in yeah. that re respect. Yeah. And that's what theater is about, at least for this production. That's what I feel, that I cannot hear at all. I cannot hear the music at all. I have to find what the rhythm of each song is. I didn't have that many songs, but I had to find the rhythm and make it work in my own sign language. And that's what the combination of this is about in our theater. It's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. 
worlds together, yeah. two worlds together are better than one. <laughs> oh. Yes, the rest of the world can see and hear it all at the same time. And, and that's one of my favorite lines, that you can see and hear deaf theater. Mm -hmm. So you've got both worlds together. And even since NTD days, the National Theater of the Deaf, David Hayes, the founder, always used to say that this is a theater you can see and hear. Now here's one of my favorite signs from NTD, an example of how to use sign language but present it in a more theatrical and visual way. The word is reflections. It has a sign, which we use in everyday parlance, but it's not inherently theatrical. If I were to perform it on the stage, I would use both hands to fingerspell it with the bottom reflecting the top. Much more theatrical. And that's what you were doing uh, in your translation of Muddy Water. I think it's beautiful, I, I a beautiful also, form of theater. I also think that's, that's one of the things that makes this an incredibly exciting experience for a hearing audience. Is that uh, you're using, as an audience member, first of all, your imagination is activated in the way this production is uh, presented. Uh, and you're empowering the audience in a way that I think audiences these days are quite hungry for. They don't want to actually be shown everything be told what to feel, uh, be shown, you know, from A to B to C. They want to participate. Um, and this production does that in a wonderful way, thanks to, to Jeff. But um, also, they're, they're using their brains in a way that they're not used to. So, uh, you know, they're engaged in this very unusual way. Um, they don't know the language of sign, but the desire to know it at the beginning happens, <laughs> like, so fast. They key into it, and now and then you can pick up something like what you just described, where a sign will match the thought or the feeling, and there's an excitement in that. Uh, for me, anyway, as a hearing person, when I, when I see a sign that I recognize that I could incorporate in my bad sign, <laughs> sign it's very exciting. Um, and to have that uh, presented theatrically and have that shared by uh, a community uh, every day, every performance is um, really remarkable. I wanted to bring Jeff Calhoun into this, since they're, they're all talking about they're all talking about you. They're talking about you. <laughs> Your cast is talking about the director. I'm just fascinated listening to everybody. I never get tired of it because there's always a new perspective. And even now, I learn based on things I've just heard Phyllis say. I wish we could go back and I could redirect a scene. <laughs> it just keep you know. I'm having a good time just listening, so don't worry about <laughs> me. No, but you I assemble good people together, and then I let them do their thing. But as a director and, and choreographer, obviously, I, I think it's fair to say that if some, when somebody called you and said, um, what about doing Big River, or Oliver was first, Oliver, but yeah. so Oliver, for, for a deaf theater company, you must have thought that this was an odd call? Oh, it was every <laughs> joke you could imagine, yes. you know. It took Bill actually a while to convince me that he was serious. I thought he was pulling my leg, and then I thought, you know, this is what my career has come to. I'm only being offered jobs to direct musicals for the deaf. <laughs> and now I realize how absurd uh, that comment is, uh, because now I couldn't be more honored, you know, to do this. It's, 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 so, it's a love affair like, I, like no other I've ever had. And what's interesting, and what I, I guess I never realized was, being that theater, for me at least, ultimately, uh, first and foremost, is a visual art form especially musicals, okay? It's a visual art form. And what we're doing is we're asking people to see music. And I don't think that that's happened before. And I just think that enhances the, the, the project. And I think you get more 
of a musical experience because of the deaf than less. I think a lot of people at home are worried that this isn't for them. Uh, it's, it's just for deaf people. And that somehow it's going to be less of a musical experience. And I just think it's so much more of a musical experience because we, do, we are putting visuals to sound. And it's remarkable. I, I couldn't agree with you more. One of the early um, directors of the National Theater of the De Deaf was Joe Layton, who was a Broadway choreographer. And yeah, his that's sign. That's his sign. That's sign. That's sign. <laughs> and what, what I found... And you knew remember, it. <laughs> you remember. Well, I remember Ed talked about him a lot. And, and what I found is somebody who is obviously some, is somewhat interested. I mean, I had maybe a leg up on the rest of the, of the hearing community in New York. But when I saw Big River here, I was reminded of the kind of work that Joe Layton did, which made me wonder, what is it about a choreographer specifically that feels un, uh, unleashed in, in creativity um, to, to, take, to, to take signing and take a, the language like this and, and, and choreograph at the same time? Well, again, I keep, it's, uh, it's visual. Choreographers, it's visual. It doesn't mean you ignore the, the word, the text, but you're seeing it in 360 degrees. It's like when you're driving a car. I'm a, I think I'm a very good driver for the same reason. I'm very aware, even though I may be talking to a passenger, but I'm always aware of both the mirrors to the right, to the left, the rear view mirror. I'm really aware as I'm driving what's around, and I think it's the same skill. Uh, when you read the text, I'm seeing the stage as a sculpture. And uh, it's going to be hard to go back to a musical without the signing. You'll just have to find another one to do with Deaf West. Well, we're, <laughs> yeah, we're talking about it. I actually would love to do uh, Oliver, which is really was the genesis of this. That was our first sort of class in, uh, for me at least, signing 101 in How Do You Do a Musical with the Deaf? And uh, that's where we came up with the style we're using on Big River, having... Uh, um, Charles Dickens narrate Oliver, which is how I did the production, really was the precursor to having Mark Twain tell us Big River. And I hope we have the opportunity to, uh, to do <laughs> Oliver on Broadway if the powers that be let us. Although um, Mark Twain was a character briefly in the original Big River, correct? Yes, he played the doctor who comes and fixes Tom's leg, but dressed as Mark Twain. But at the top, Gordon did he have like three lines? <laughs> Came and smoked a cigar at the beginning and went puff and waved and said, see you in the, see in the second act. Yeah, it was very strange. I remember reading, because I never saw the, the production originally. So I'm reading the script and Twain appears and I think, oh, this is just what we did with Oliver. <laughs> and then he literally makes an entrance and an exit and you don't see him again until yeah. the second act. It's so weird. I thought they were going to do what we ended up doing, <laughs> but that's where that idea came from, right in the prologue of the original. I mentioned earlier that one of the extraordinary things about Big River, and for that matter, any production done by Deaf West, is that it's done in two languages simultaneously, uh, in English and in American Sign Language. And I noticed in the program that there are four people whose credits are sign masters for Big River. And mm -hmm. I wanted to ask to explain what that actually means. It obviously is more than just an, uh, uh, the person who interpreted, the, uh, translated the show. But what, what, is, what are the sign masters and who wants to answer that question? Well, before they, I'm not equipped to give you the best answer, but from my point of view, they, I can tell you that they are the unsung heroes of this. They are as responsible as anybody for any success that this show is having. Uh, Bill, you're probably the appropriate person. Well, I think um, we should hear from the hearing and deaf actors, too. But the, the, what I would add to that is that, um, from my perspective, definitely the, there has been a progression, I think, of when the, the hearing and the deaf cultures came together, this, the sign translations had to become 
more fine-tuned towards, uh, you know, bringing all of that together. And <clears throat> I think one of the one of the most meaningful ways that it, that it winds up, um, the outcome winds up being that what we hear as a hearing audience and what the, the deaf actor is saying and, and emoting and meaning is exactly on the same page. <clears throat> and that becomes sort of, I think, the magic for an audience member who in some ways has a similar path that Huck and, and Jim have, where they start out um, from perspectives of cultures that don't really get each other. From you know, There's a divide that they're reaching across. And I think the same thing happens between the people on stage and the people in the audience who are predominantly hearing, where they start by the end of the show, they are watching Ty, and they absolutely are feeling and, and, and you know, being, um, they're being affected by this guy who's communicating to them in a language that's absolutely foreign, but they can tell that what he's saying is exactly what they're hearing. And that is only the result of meticulous translation so that, that the idioms and the humor and, and the, the class, you know, the, he's the least educated and smartest guy up there and that's reflected in the sign language as much as it is, it is in, in how you hear it. So there's just a lot of intricate stuff that, that a lot of time goes into and I think it's definitely, I think this, the translations are a big part of what, what the engine of this is. I don't think people... And which Go ahead, leads Ty. me uh, to comment that the hearing audience watches me sign, and they maybe don't understand sign language, and yet they see what I'm saying. And it's on the same lines as to what is being spoken. And that goes directly to the role of the translator, the, four, the team of four. They had to do a lot of investigating of finding the meaning of the English that's in the script. Because the script was written originally in English, so that's pretty much frozen. We had to follow the script. And then we had to analyze what's the meaning of each line, which sometimes we could have spent an hour, two hours, even three hours on figuring out one little line. I mean, Dan and you knows. Did. <laughs> Dan, <laughs> Dan knows we spent so much time together. But it was great because we wanted to find equivalents. We wanted translations that would augment both the English and the ASL, that would have a synergistic effect on both languages. And to, in order to add to that, the next step after finding the meaning is what sign do you use specifically? There might be one sign that just is too modern mm -hmm. for the era in which the show is performed in. So we had to be very careful in selecting our signs. And perhaps one sign that we selected wouldn't match the character. So w there were a lot of intricacies involved in the task of the ASL masters. And actually, the ASL masters I is a new concept in our theater. I think it only began a few years ago. Previous to that, we would never have an ASL master. The actor would translate their own script. One person would pick one sign, and maybe we'd teach somebody else the sign, but there was no overall coordination. So a few years ago, we started to recognize the need for an ASL master, and that's one reason that Big River is so beautiful and that mm -hmm. everyone has commented and applauded us for that. It's what, gorgeous. What problems did you encounter uh, without an ASL master? Well, that the actors <laughs> said, we're all deaf, we all know sign language, 
and everybody would translate it their own way. And, and occasionally someone would say, what do you think about this? What should I sign about that? But there was no one outside eye, like a director or an assistant director, who was looking at the overall language that was being used in sign. It might have happened a, a few times incidentally, but it wasn't a priority. And they, one of the main reasons for that was that they'd say that the theater is just a theater for the deaf. You don't have to worry about it matching what the hearing people are hearing. And we are really matching it now more than ever, and we recognize the need more than ever. And maybe it's because the directors themselves were deaf and understood what was needed. Previous to that, we'd only had hearing directors who wouldn't have understood it and were worried about time. And so we I think it's, it's almost like when um, you hear that Shakespeare has had, there's been some really successful translations of Shakespeare into German, <clears throat> but that could only be possible if there was a poet <laughs> translating it into German, because it had to, um, it would have had to have flown by the strength of German language, you know, doing those, uh, expressing those poetic images and, and using the sound to their own advantage. And well, also, the, kind of the biggest difference for this is not in the scene work. When you can translate, do your own translation, and the actor knows what you're saying, but once you add music to that, now you have to be locked in. So you have to, you know, you may have, look at here, Huck. Mm. Look at here, Huck, four words, but you have two beats to do it in. We would go, look at here, Huck. So we have to find a sign that can say, look at here, Huck, but that you can do in two beats, look at here, Huck. So you have to track through the whole show that way. And that's really the miraculous job, I think, that the ASL masters did for this show. That's, you can't underestimate how difficult that was. And what were the signs for Look at Here, Huck? Well, we chose one that went with the visual, which is just this. So Look at Here, Huck. But there's, I think you were, gonna, you were leading to Worlds Apart. Well, I uh, also, I, I, I wanted to take one example so we can explain this a little bit. And, and before we get there, Muddy Water, um, just because, you know, it, I don't know if, if, if Ty knows the words exactly. I mean, I'd love to hear them, to have them translated exactly sure. and then see what it is that, 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 how you translated them in the show. Would you like to do that with, look at here, uh, Muddy Water? Could, yeah. Dan, would you just look out for me, oh, Muddy Water? Yeah. Say the line first for us, Dan, yeah. Yeah. Look out for me. No, wait, wait, you wait, just wait. say it and then he'll show us okay. what it is. Don't do it together. Do you want me to sign it in English or you want me to sign it the way we did the ASL First in English. Show? In English. First, here, let, let, let's try this. Danny, speak it first. I'll try my best. I'll imp do a little impromptu English for you. Okay. Muddy Water, ready? So, look out for me. Oh, Muddy Water. No, it's not working. <laughs> Your mysteries are deep and wide. And I got a need for going someplace. And I got a need to climb upon your back and ride. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's almost, um, the, same. It's almost okay, the same as in the show. But yes, but for example, with mysteries, I remember very well the discussion about mysteries. Remember with Freda when we were having that discussion? Yes, it was very hard to do that because your mysteries are deep and wide is a very mm -hmm. abstract concept. And how do you translate that into ASL with a limited time in which to produce it? That was quite difficult. It was very hard. We must have spent so much time discussing how to do it, but you just had that one second for... What was the, the first, what was the first translation? Look out for me was protect me, make sure I'm okay. 
in, and the spiritual belief that the spirit of the river would help me to reach my goal. And that's look up for me on Monday morning. Right. I mean, <laughs> no, but then that's isn't that <laughs> remarkable? You know, it's, it's really the most collaborative. You know, the theater is a collaborative art form, but never more than it is in this process. You have to. It's really an exercise in patience, and the the best idea does win. All the people from all the different groups sit to, around, and we go right around and take care of everybody's needs. It's a very slow process, but it's fun for everyone because it's really a collaboration. And then the payoff, of course, is what you see in the theater. It's well worth it. But and sitting with the sign masters in the room with Ty was easily I'm, uh, nothing personal, but yeah. it was my, my, my favorite part of the process. Yeah. It, was like, it was like being in a room with your dream teacher. And you're getting one on one with your with yeah. your with your favorite teacher in in the world, and uh, getting to, to to go over something that you love, and and just dissect it, lay it out in front of you, and put it back together again. It was just a glorious, glorious process. I, I also think in in muddy water, uh, the, this the sign that's used for the word need. I have a need. The sign that's chosen. And we sign dream. Dream. Yeah. And to me, and because I need to go to a new place, because where I live has there's a feeling that something is missing, and I need to go beyond that, and I need to find that thing. And the great thing about that translation, I think, too, when just the way the title <coughs> is describing it, is that when when a hearing person breaks into song, it's because you know uh, dialogue isn't going to do it anymore. You know, I have a bigger need and a bigger reason, and I have to express it in a more heightened way. So you can see the translation that he, that, that they came up with was just, you know, spiritual and integral, and it was, you know, it was more than just talking could say. It's really remarkable, and then we have a few characters in the show that are English, so then we don't use American Sign Language. It's English Sign Language for that actor. It's, you know... Well... <laughs> and that's where... Well, when it comes to signs, one of the most important things about sign language is facial expression. And when I say a dream, but the way I do it with my facial expression, mm -hmm. I show that it's my goal, it's something I want to attain. And this shows that the facial expression adds another layer of meaning to the grammar. Now here's something I'm thinking, and I'm just going to throw this out for debate. If you have a hearing actor who signs and talks at the same time, I'm sorry to say this, but the facial expressions sometimes don't match the signs. Because one of my favorite moments in the show was when you were signing, Dan, the part where the two characters, the king and the duke, show up. You were signing, and the two hearing actors were voicing their lines for you. And I have to tell you, you just radiated. I mean, you just personified those characters so completely. It was great. So I wonder, and I'm just suggesting this as a possibility, if we could have a sort of triple casting idea, where if a hearing actor is signing, then a second hearing actor voices for the first one. Maybe. And that's true. There are a few people have mentioned this. For those actors like Dan, who are speaking two languages at the same time. They're signing and speaking. It's like patting your head and rubbing your stomach at the same time. And I have to applaud them. It's an amazing job they're doing. And yet, if you're having to speak two languages at the same time, 
one language or the other language is going to suffer. It's also been remarkable. So I'm just putting that out for thought. <laughs> <laughs> it's been remarkable for me to watch the hearing actors having to learn to sign and now compete with the deaf actor. As far as you saw, you just see the expressiveness that Ty has. Well, that's a, the bar is set pretty high. So it forces the hearing actors to really rise to the occasion and use their whole bodies in a way that I can promise you they've never used before. And that's when I go back to saying it's such a visual art form. You're really hearing the, uh, this musical the way you've never seen it before. Or you're seeing it the way you've never heard it before, I should say. And most of them rose, rose to the occasion. I, I, I'd like to think they all did. <laughs> um, I wanted to ask you, in, in, in directing and choreographing this, when the music starts, and obviously there's rhythm, but do you, did you find that there were some times where you led the way and say, okay, this as a choreographer, I want the movement to be this, or were you always guided by the, the sign masters and how the translation mm. ended up? No, uh, when it comes to the music, the music wins, because you can't change the beat. The music is here. So the key is to figure out the best signs that fit the music. And that's the fun that I had. As Dan spoke about, when I'm with the ASL master, it was such a joy, too, because they're so prolific. And they come up with all these different options of signs. And it's picking the ones that I think will look the best and be the most appropriate for that character at any given moment for his journey through the piece. Um, but in the scene work, the hearing actors have to do a lot of accommodating because they may have a line and there may be a lot of signs and certain lines they may have to slow down the sentence because there's so many signs they're waiting for and the other way is true there might be one or two signs and they have a whole sentence and they have to say it really fast mm -hmm. in, in muddy water for, for example um, th there's a very creative use of sign between two people so that it, it, it's sort of taking a language and Stretching it, yeah, and, and using two, two people, I mean, is, in a different way. It's sort of making the sign language artistic in a different way. Was that your notion? The metaphors continue through. This whole thing is just one big metaphor. I mean, I still can't get over the chocolate peanut butter. <laughs> <laughs> you got your peanut butter, my chocolate. No, you got your chocolate. Uh, there's that throughout that, and uh, the song Worlds Apart speak about it, and uh, just having deaf and hearing coming together and so by having one person's hand and then the other actor marrying it together as a metaphor we tried to find as many of those metaphors as we could for really the marriage of two you getting a, a, a successful marriage and that's what a successful marriage is right the unions of two people where the third is greater than the than the um, the parts and I'm wondering if that metaphor would work if Jim did not sign for that song. You meaning if you both did this together? No, I mean for Worlds Apart. You mean if somebody else signed for him? Would it be more clear that they are in separate worlds rather than together? Hmm. And maybe at the end, finally, he would sign. You know? Well, what I, what I think is beautiful, the, the choice that we made. <laughs> <laughs> I like doing what Phyllis did earlier. I like that we did that as a mirror image in worlds apart. It's subtle, but it's your right hand, it's his left, it's your upstage, his upstage. So, and we don't, we try to, for each song and each number, we try to have a different way of signing so it didn't become monotonous to keep the audience sort of on the edge of their seat. Um, I love what I saw you do, Phyllis. I wish there was a place to have used that in the show. <laughs> yeah. That was kind of magical. I still can't figure it out. How'd you do that? <laughs> yeah. We, we, we have... <laughs> right. 
<laughs> Reflections. Okay. We, we have a clip of Worlds Apart That's that we've been fabulous. talking about. Let's, let's look at it so we can, we, can, we can see and have our own opinions about this. I'll chime in that I don't think that could be too much better than that, I have to say. I, you can think what you want. Also, what's amazing about that, that you will never have in another production of this, is that's working on three layers. You have the characters of Jim and Huck and where they are at that moment, talking about their worlds apart. Then you have black and white. And then you have deaf and hearing. So in that one song, you have three levels that are all saying the same thing. I mean, it's and, and my response to... to Ty's idea would be that how could they be expressing that they're really the same unless they're really communicating with each other and that's how they found out. I think we should go back into rehearsal. Clearly there's <laughs> more <laughs> exploration to be done here. Oh yes, oh yes. Good idea. You know, the reason why the cast, I'm not one of those directors that go to the theater a lot after the show opens because all I want to do is go back into rehearsal. Yeah. Because any show is where you were at that given moment in right. your process and in your life. And every time I go back, I say things, I see things I want to change. And I have to just stay away and go on to the next show. But it's happening, just so you know. I mean, and that's... <laughs> no, I, but well, for grows, me, the joy in doing a, a, a show for more than a week is that you, you do get the fixed stuff. You know, we do get to find a oh, better yes. execution of a moment and not, and not a redirection, just a... a just well, it's a, growth. It's growth. It's a garden. It's growth. And, it's, and yeah. in this way, it's a, the growth is just so meticulous. Because there's so much. Especially with stuff. humor. For some reason, that humor has been the hardest nut to crack for me in, in this production. Uh, finding ways to have both well, languages express, uh, express the humor. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It takes timing time to learn the timing. And also just the nature of a joke. I mean, and, and Twain's jokes were very, very particular to Twain's sense of humor. And uh, they come from a certain period in American history as well. And having, you know, ASL, I think, uh, had to come up or, or, or find a way to execute humor <laughs> And, uh, and to do it uh, in the same period, it's just, you know, it's uh, remarkably difficult. And I know friends who've gone, across, uh, who've gone overseas and done, uh, done shows where, you know, the audience is wearing uh, translators and they're doing a comedy and they're laughing like five seconds later. We, <laughs> we couldn't do that. We had to do it at the same time. And, uh, and there were times like uh, in the coffin... Uh, you know, when uh, he tells uh, Mary, he's about to slip up and tell Mary Jane where the, where the money has been hidden. And, 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 and we, Ty and I have just slowly found our way to the thing that works, and, and both in our own way. He physically has found the tempo for that joke, and I've 
Spokely have found the, the stakes. I have to make sure that the expectation is, it, it's just slipping out. It isn't, I don't know, it's, it's a little convoluted, but both things have come up and they happen at the same time. D right. D there, is, there is one moment in the show which every time I've seen it gets a round of applause. Um, and it's a pretty magic moment. Um, and um, I'd love to know where it came from and, and you can, somebody might describe it. I think you're talking about the moment in the second act where we take away the music, but we continue with the visual. It's like turning off the sound on your TV but letting the picture run. There's a profundity there um, that I think only you only feel because it happens late in the show after you get over the, the jitters of these two cultures together and then by that point in the show I think you're taking it for granted and you're forgetting that half the cast is deaf and half is hearing until that moment and then it's a way to plunge the hearing audience quickly into the world of the deaf and I hesitate to even talk about it because it's something that I won't do justice uh, the silence says it best so to speak but to answer your question that moment came out of uh, I was bored. Um, <laughs> quite frankly, we were teching, and Michael Gilliam was taking an inordinate amount of time <laughs> lighting this one cue. And uh, it was just, you know, a game I played with myself, and I was with uh, my associate uh, director, Coy Middlebrook, who's responsible for a lot of the magic you see on the stage. And um, I said, what would happen if we just... Uh, Steve who's our musical director, I said, just don't play this time. Cut out right here, but let's just keep going and see what happens. And then you were sitting off to the side, and you liked that idea, but you said, hey, try something else, and we tried something else. And you said, no, go back to what you had before. <laughs> um, and we played like three different things there, but it was mm -hmm. a ha I call those happy accidents. You know, I, I wish I could tell you it was, it was smarter than that, but it, <laughs> most ideas aren't, you know. But that's the magic of the theater. One of the things that I did notice was that, that actually tie, tie signs one line of the song without music in the first act, the first time he sings it. Yes, and that was St that was Stephen's idea. Without singing, there's music. There's the, the music, music continues, but, no but yeah. that sort of yeah. yeah. So the, no, but it is. Right. But there's a progression there. You see, if they hit it too hard at the beginning, they'd spend it all. That's right. right. So all we do there is take away the voice, but we keep the music and the signing. And then in the second act, we eliminate <coughs> not only the voice but the soundtrack as well, and let the picture roll. And it's one of those is what uh, um, Lily Tomlin talks about the goosebump experience at the yeah. end of her one woman show. It's yeah. that for me. Well, it, it, it is that it, it is that for an audience, but and because the hearing audience who may not know sign language has seen these signs and it's lighting sh light shine. I mean, there are image there are wonderful image signs in it. Um, it's just a magical it's a magical moment in the theater, and, and I, you know it's a great moment of collaboration. There's no question. About well, this that. text is filled with so many happy accidents. You know, uh, we certainly were not aware when we chose the show that uh, Jim, slave Jim, talks about having a deaf child. Yeah. You know, that was another happy accident. And there's another element we haven't talked about that's a huge part of I think the experience of the show, and that is the set. Uh, Ray Clausen, who's done a wonderful job. And what we wanted to do is we wanted to take the common denominator in the two worlds, which is the written word. And I wanted that to be the backdrop for the show. So Mark Twain and the written word and that common denominator of our two worlds is always present throughout the show. I thought that was brilliantly done, I have to say. I thought the set was, was absolutely wonderful. I was trying to figure out how do you start a musical with deaf actors. I, didn't, I wanted an equality. I never wanted to favor the hearing of the deaf. So to have an overture would have not been fair to the deaf actors and the deaf audience. 
So for me, I look at the overture as if it's, you read the overture. You walk into the theater and you're reading the text of Mark Twain, and I've treated that as the overture. And it also is interesting that Dan, Danny mentioned earlier that because Roger Miller wrote this score, it, it, is, it is a different score than most musicals because he was a, a pop songwriter. Why did you cut Tom, Tom Sawyer's song? Oh, Lord, you don't have enough time for that answer. You know, I like that song, and to be honest, it got down to the fact that, and the actor, uh, Michael Arden, who's just in my book, you know, as good as it gets, it, it pained me to cut it for the reason that he's so talented. It didn't further the plot at all. It was a wonderful Never, ditty, and uh, did. he did it on Johnny Carson. You know, he sat and did, you know, let's have a hand for the hog. That's probably the best venue for it. <laughs> and um, we had a puppet. I liked the moment, but it didn't further the plot. And I believe that a short show is a happy show. <laughs> and I was looking for ways to trim. I never heard anyone leave a theater saying that show was too short. <laughs> and so taking all those things together, it seemed like the wise thing to do. Rocco Landisman had, had mentioned to me, uh, Todd was saying that, that Rocco, this show has always been near and dear to, to Rocco's heart. And he told me once that he had the idea of Roger Miller writing this show. And the first song he wrote was How About a Hand for the Hog for Tom mm -hmm. Sawyer, which is unstageable and, you know. Mm -hmm. And they all thought, oh dear, what are we going to do now? And, they th and I guess Des McEnough said, well, why don't you just have him stand there and sing it and go off stage, which is exactly the way he did. So I, right. can, I can understand you cutting But we didn't do that. We did stage it. And I was at, you know, we, turned, we opened up the book, and this time it became a little vaudeville set, which is what, it's a really vaudeville number. Yeah. And we had a puppet. Oh, I want to see it. Oh, it was, it was really good. I got puppets nasty are big. Notes. Puppets are big now. Puppets yeah. are very big. <laughs> you don't puppets. need Avenue Q, oh, yeah. Lion King. You can <laughs> see. No, I got nasty notes from people wanting to know where I live because I cut that song. It's funny what people hold on to. But, well, you, they can, but you also, uh, the, the real, other real reason was that following story became more and more important as we were going through previews. And, and I'm not sure if that's um, yeah. because of how this production works. Um, but uh, when, when we weren't really keyed into story, uh, we were in trouble. Well, Bill talked about that in the original production, too. He said if he had it to do all over again, now I'm talking about William Hopman, the writer, he would write it differently. This show really takes off when Jim and Huck get on that raft. And anything I could cut prior to that to get them onto the raft sooner, the better. And that's, Dan's exactly right. We paused in the drama to have this novelty number when we're really driving story-wise. And when you also, you had the opportunity to work with the writer, even though it is a revival, you had a, the opportunity to work with him. Was he cooperative? We've done three productions of, the, of uh, Big River, at Deaf West and at the Mark Taper and here. And this one is the best, and a large reason for that is the collaboration of uh, William Hauptman. That's great. Yeah. At that was very helpful. On that moment, we're going to pause for a few words about the American Theatre Wing. Before we get back to the American Theatre Wing's Working in the Theatre Seminar on Production, I would like to remind you that these seminars are only one of the many year-round programs that the Wing undertakes. You're probably familiar with the American Theatre Wing's Tony Award, given for achievement of excellence in the Broadway theater. We also have an important grants program providing aid to off and off-off Broadway theaters. We have expanded our scholarships to promising students to pursue studies in the theater arts. And we offer a comprehensive guide to careers in the theater to those seriously interested in entering the profession. As a long-established charity, dating back from World War I and World War II and our famous St. George Canteen, all of our programs are designed to reward and promote excellence in the theater. 
We just love to introduce young people and their families to theater and imagine it unfolds. We take pride in the work we do, remain grateful to our members and everyone else whose contributions help make possible the dynamic programs of the American Theater Week. Our work is so important to the theater and the community, and we are proud to be a part of this exciting industry. And so now, let's return to our panel on production and our moderator, Ted Chapin. Thanks very much. Before we go on, I want to acknowledge that in our audience today we have students from the Lexington School for the Deaf. Um, very happy to have you here. Thanks for coming. I, I wanted to ask Todd, um, you have a company in your theater now that is a, a half-deaf company. Um, first of all, what have your subscribers, how have they reacted to this show? Um, I, I was worried about that because we did not <laughs> build this as a deaf musical. We build this as Big River. I mean, Deaf West had billing, but I'm not sure that, that that meant anything to them one way or the other. So when they came into the first preview before there had been a lot of publicity, I really thought this might be bad, you know, because <laughs> they'd be going, what, wh what's going on on this stage? And uh, the odd thing that, odd good, is that from the very beginning, uh, they have been fantastic. Uh, there didn't seem to be, I mean, Jeff was closer to this than I am being there every performance early on, but there didn't seem to be much of a learning curve. I mean, within five to ten minutes of this two-and-a-half-hour performance, <laughs> they seemed to be completely engrossed in it, like they would any good show. And, uh, which I kind of found s astonishing, considering, considering they didn't know what they were coming to see, and a real tribute to the fact that this is done so beautifully. Um, and the feedback we've gotten and the letters I've gotten have been extraordinary. I've never gotten these kind of letters, you know, thanking me for what I've done and, uh, <laughs> and uh, incredible and uh, how brilliant and I Of course, I had nothing to do with it, but I'm like, sure, <laughs> writing letters back saying, oh, it's nothing, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but it's been, it's, been, um, it's been extraordinary from the first day. How, how um, ha have, for example, the backstage crew had to adjust to um, giving cues to people who, who can't uh, pick up a telephone or we, hear well, an intercom? First of all, we, we did um, early on try to get at least one person proficient um, in, in sign language in, in every department. So we hired specifically a wardrobe, at least one wardrobe person, one of the assistant stage managers. Um, but beyond that, and obviously uh, we have a lot more lights for cueing as opposed to just sound cues, and we have video monitors in the dressing rooms and all those things. Uh, what's been sort of nice institutionally beyond all that, which is that uh, a lot of the staff took sign classes just because they wanted to. Um, and I think it's been, uh, you know, when you work in a not-for-profit theater, everybody who works in a not-for-profit theater, whether it's Roundabout or Lincoln Center or the Vineyard or the tiniest of theaters, um, they work in it because they care about the theater. Obviously, even if you're reasonably successful, it's not a very lucrative career. Um, and so, but sometimes the shows feel... Uh, particularly at a bigger theater like Roundabout. Sometimes the shows, even though it all goes to the not-for-profit cause uh, and we try to do good work, sometimes the shows feel more, for lack of a better term, more commercial than others, like we're you know, doing a production of Nine with Antonio Banderas. And you know, it just seems like sort of this really great production of Nine. Um, I, I think this was one of those productions at Roundabout where uh, 
and there are others, but maybe this one was the most special, where it really gave the entire company of the institution a sense of uh, why the not-for-profit theater exists and what boundaries could be stretched in the theater and in different art forms. You know, I have to say, I could have, uh, and again, I'm not being, uh, I'm not being modest, I, I could have sat in a room for the rest of my life and not figured out how to do what Jeff and Bill and Ed Water Street did with Big River. I, I to me, not to mention obviously the company that joined them, but uh, to me it's extraordinary. Not that you could do a deaf musical, but that you could do a deaf musical that not only does all the things that have been talked about, blends all the elements so so fluently that you don't even realize that people are are half the cast is speaking and half the cast is is not. But beyond that, I happen to think. Uh, and, and I'm relatively objective because I came into this really late in the process. I actually think it enhances the musical. I mean, there's no question in my mind, speaking purely personally, that this is this half half deaf, half half uh, hearing production of, of Big River is better than than uh, than an all hearing version of Big River would be for all the reasons and more that have been very well articulated prior to me. So. It's been kind of an astonishing experience uh, for all of us being involved with this production. Will you consider a new production roundabout as a, a that perhaps you and Deaf West join forces together from I'd the get-go? I love Oliver, I have to say. <laughs> Oliver was the first musical I ever saw in my life. When I was eight years old, I made my mother take me to it five times. I used to stand in the living room and sing Where is Love, which was frightening. <laughs> 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 so yeah, I'm, I'm ready. <laughs> um, how were you able to reach out to the Deaf audience? Because I assume that the, the roundabout subscribers are a fairly s sort of standard New York theater-going audience, but how? I mean, I assume you did reach out to the deaf audiences, and yeah, how I did mean, you do our, that? Yeah, I mean, our whole marketing department, of which I, you know, I'm very not involved in the day-to-day -day process, but went to every deaf organization and tried to make them aware of the fact that this production was happening. I have to say, also the, you know, the press has been extraordinary. I'm not just talking about the reviews, which have been great, but it's gotten an extraordinary amount of press coverage. So yes, I think, I don't know. I, I actually, we've never, we've never, for because we've never particularly needed to, we've never actually taken account of how many people in the audience are hearing and how many of the people in the audience are deaf. You can sort of see at the end in the applause, but I, I would think maybe, what would you say, maybe 10, at least 10 percent of every audience is probably... That's a pretty reason. good average, yeah. I'd say. Yeah, 5 to 10 percent, it yeah. varies. Sometimes more. Depends on which show. And is that the same percentage for the Deaf West productions in California, or is there... Oh, no. I, I can tell, I'm sorry, to, mm -hmm. my first experience with Oliver, you know, you wait for your um, preview, so you get a feedback from the audience, what's working, what's not working, and I kept sitting there, the first performance of Oliver, and I'm telling you nothing, no, nothing, not a sound, and I, I'm in the booth and flop sweat is just pouring <laughs> down my face, and I, at intermission, Ed Water Street's like, <laughs> <laughs> And I'm like, are you crazy? We're dying out there. <laughs> and he said to me, he goes, Jeff, the audience is all deaf. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, thank God. <laughs> so, That's great. So anyway, there, yes, the, the audience at Deaf West is clearly uh, more deaf than they would be yeah, on Broadway. <laughs> that was a nightmare. Oh, my God. 
<laughs> I, I certainly, I certainly hope that now that, that Deaf West has been introduced to Broadway, um, that that this this production can have a life across the country. Um, we were talking earlier about about the 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 notion and the need and the desire for for the for this production to tour. Do you want to talk a little bit about it, Bill? Um, yeah, the the funding that that sort of got the ball rolling on this was all about creating a national touring initiative. Um, somewhat similar to what National Theatre of the Deaf used to do. <coughs> and we started to look at the landscape and saw that um, that kind of bus and truck environment doesn't really exist, at least not in a way that you could produce really good stuff that you're proud of. <coughs> um, so we started looking at doing region, a regional theatre co-production that hopefully could um, uh, launch a national tour. And so it actually it worked out really beautifully, um, a lot more than, uh, probably better than we could have hoped in terms of being able to go from our 99-seat theater over to the taper, um, and then from the taper to the roundabout. And getting back, I guess, what to, uh, Todd was talking about earlier, we, we felt um, that coming into a place like the roundabout that has a subscription, we knew that word of mouth is, is a lot better equipped to convince people or to explain to people that you need to see this than reading about it could do. Um, it's, just, it's just hard until you see it. I think if people watching the show didn't see the clips, they'd, they might have seen us be enthused, but they, they, uh, I think it's, it's just hard to describe. Um, so right now we are booking a national tour. We're uh, planning for it to go out uh, sometime in 04 and hopefully well into 05. Mm -hmm. And um, we hope to then do other things that, that follow that pipeline later. I think that's great. I, I want to ask Stephanie a question. <laughs> <laughs> You've been doing it. I've never <laughs> seen your eyes. <laughs> 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 well, you know, theater's full of surprises. You, you, you joined it only at, uh, at Roundabout, or were you uh, with the production earlier? No, only in New York City. And, and your role in, in, in rehearsal was? What I'm do doing what? now, <laughs> interpreting. Oh, she the had the hardest job in the world because I'd job. run and she would just have to like follow and <laughs> run around. And, oh, she was fantastic. Were you the only one, or were there others? No, there was another uh, interpreter named John Wolf Nelson, yeah. who was also great and who's now moved to LA. I just want to give you a proper acknowledgement. <laughs> That's great. We, we have a couple of questions. Um, yes, absolutely. Um, one question is, uh, did, did Michael McElroy, who plays Jim, know sign language before Big River, or did he learn it for the show? Who knows the answer to that? Well, Michael McElroy, yes, yes. McElroy. Michael yeah. McElroy had Zero. absolutely Zero. no sign Zero. language whatsoever, and he almost lost it. <laughs> he said, I thought it would just be one song or a few songs, but then he had yeah. to learn the entire show in sign language, and it was a shock for him. But he's done yeah. a really marvelous job in learning all his lines in a week. In one week he had them down. Well, there were some changes later that were made to the translation, but he was amazing. And <laughs> I also have such an amazing respect for Dan as well. You did the same thing. That's right. You learn sign language. And you might notice from this little white thing on his hand, not only did Dan learn sign language, but halfway through the run, something happened and he had to switch hands. <laughs> so now he's signing with his left hand. I signed really hard with my right hand. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Right. Actors should not be allowed to play basketball <laughs> when they're in the show. Can I just say that? Yeah. Put it in the contract. Put it in the contract. And he like plays it. the guitar and the banjo all with his hand in that uh, cast. It's uh, remarkable. Our cast is remarkable. <laughs> for real. Every actor in our show is just... Uh, I have such respect for. I, I, I wanted to make one, one comment that, that when I saw it, one of the things I was amazed at is that a, a lot of times the speaking actor or the singing actor isn't, is on stage but not in a position of, of, of focus. And the sound guy occasionally will take the sound from the hearing actor and put it where the signing actor is. Mm -hmm. So then there was one point I was sitting in and mm -hmm. Ty was, was uh, signing or singing and I'm looking at him thinking, where's Danny Jenkins? Mm -hmm. It sounds like he's right there. And he was mm -hmm. way over the other side of the stage. Mm -hmm. Which I just think is a remarkable thing for a hearing audience you know, because we are in a, in a time where there, where there is amplification in the theater, to use it that creatively is a really, really good thing for everybody. The irony is the sound man had the most difficult job. Mm -hmm. And you wouldn't think for a musical with deaf actors, you'd think it would be an easier job. Yeah, but uh, same with the orchestra uh, and the band. It's more difficult than you would think. Yeah, word for the orchestra. How big is the orchestra? It's, is it it's six, a six-piece six. band, but then we have Dan playing... Oh, a myriad of instruments in each scene. They are great. They, yeah. do, they, they certainly do justice to the score for the hearing audiences. There's no mm -hmm. question about that. Beautifully arranged. Yeah. By Steve Again. Landa. And really, you're only hearing ten voices. And it really sounds like a big Broadway show. And that's uh, a lot. That's Stephen and uh, the cast and a lot. Peter Fitzgerald, our sound designer. And I have to mention, you talked about, uh, Ty talked about all the press we've been getting, too. And we have just one of the greatest press people I've ever worked with, Matt Polk in my life who's been getting all of this press for us yeah. and we just love him. Well, I, I certainly know as, again, as, as someone who's, who's informed but not involved that, that the, the reaction that people have had to, to, to the production, it's just, it's just as, something that, as Todd said, it sparked something in people that some of them had never seen or if they hadn't seen it, they'd never known what it was and they just were, were excited about it, which is, which is why may this be the first of, of, of many. The litmus, test for, the litmus test for me has been my cynical friends who've come. Right. You know, uh -huh. they're like, oh, we're so New York and we know theater, and they come, and they're like, <laughs> My agent from L.A., Marilyn Vatnery, is like, Danny, it was you were good, and the show was, you know, but she came backstage after this, and she couldn't talk. <laughs> oh, so great. Were you in the show in Los Angeles, Danny? No, I just joined here. So you and Mike, you and Michael both also joined here. So yeah. you learned your sign and your and your little friend. Yeah, which was cool. They gave us, you know, a beautiful coach who sat down with us and and then you know gave you a videotape to take home of you doing what you just learned. And <laughs> after a while, you got you know weaned off the video. But uh, yeah, it was fa fabulous. Fun. Phyllis, were you in it from the beginning? No, I joined at the Mark Taper Forum and then I continued with it here in New York. And I was Huck in all three productions. <laughs> and it's the, been the biggest honor for me to be able to work with three different Mark Twains, three different Jims. There's one of them right there. <laughs> he was our yeah, original right. Mark Twain, was Bill. You were the first one. But we've got to get the national company. We upgraded as we went. <laughs> we have to get the national company out quickly or else Ty will be playing Pap. <laughs> <laughs> But I, I also... I, yeah, I, think about that. Think about that. <laughs> I also have to say that, that, you know, those of us who saw Phyllis in Children of a Lesser God are, are happy to wel welcome her back to New York in any show at any time. Yeah. Thank you. And 
it's great to be back in New York. It's a very exciting town. <laughs> and also, I, I have been hearing great things about Jeff, and that was one of the reasons that I said, yes, I want to get involved here. And I'm so glad I did. My wife, who actually babysat for Phyllis's children years ago, has said often that if, if Phyllis were hearing, Meryl Streep would have a tough time. <laughs> <laughs> Here's a question uh, for Jeff Calhoun, from one sort of person in our audience. Um, as someone who has directed Children of a Lesser God, myself, with deaf actors, I admire your work. Were any of the deaf actors given the option of speaking orally in this? Just to further confuse the audience, right? Um, who asked that? Who asked that question? Are you? Oh, and you directed Children of a Lesser God? Yes, I did. There are only a few people in our show that could actually do that. Um, Ty? No, could I could talk at the same time, but they would distract in the show because I'm hot. It's that. And if you were able to speak, it would make a different show. So not bring the kind of message that we're trying to bring. We just want, we made that rule that we really wanted the, the deaf actors to sign, the hearing actors to voice, and uh, maybe in the future we're going to try. We actually at one time had an actress voicing for one of the roles at the same time, and that fell along the wayside as, as this evolved into what it is today. But I'm all for trying to find new ways of doing it, and so maybe in our next, maybe when we do Oliver at Roundabout, <laughs> one of the actors or actresses will do that. A further question, or add addition of that question was, uh, how did you communicate with the performers, assuming that you didn't know sign language oh, when you began? They were so patient with me. At Deaf West, you know, nobody was looking at me. They were all looking at the interpreter. <laughs> and the little pride that, that I've gained in, in my, I'm, you know, trying to learn more sign language and get better and better and have my skills get better and better and better is wa watching the heads of the actors they look at me now more than the, the interpreter because I do try to sign when I give notes. And that's been a personal satisfaction for me. But it's really been an exercise in patience for the cast, putting up with the hearing actor who, who didn't know. Not only did I not know sign language, Ed Waterstreet was the first deaf person I had ever met in my life. And it's been an, a, a love affair ever since. And uh, I'm ashamed, you know, I'm embarrassed that it, I don't know why I had never come in contact with a deaf person before, but I think that's I think a lot of hearing people are in the same boat. If you really ask yourself, have you, do you have a friend that's deaf? Or most of us would say no. And that's one of the reasons I feel so blessed, because now I actually have, uh, I have deaf friends that are very close to my heart, and I'm all the better for it. And, and, and did I hear it right that it's Will Rogers' Follies that, got, that made this connection and made this? Mm -hmm. It does seem like yeah. an odd, odd way to get to, to uh, Definitely. Uh, <laughs> well, actually, it would work very well because. You don't need to. Maybe, hmm, maybe we'll do that. Were you tempted to, to choreograph numbers in, 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 in Big River? It's not a big choreographic show anyway, but. Uh, it isn't, and, and I would hesitate. Uh, to do a West Side Story or something where its stamp or its trademark is dance. That would be very difficult. Uh, also, my passion as a choreographer has diminished. I don't, I don't have that passion I, I once had for choreography. Um, we, we had a number, we had a dance number at the opening of Act Two, the infamous Nunsuch. Yes, as you could hear the silence in the room. <laughs> That's kind of what the, happened at the end of the number, too. Um, we tried to have a dance number there, and again, because of the show being long, 
that's where we started to trim from. And I wasn't good enough to figure out how to make the dance number as good as the rest of the show. It's the only time to me it felt a little bit patronizing. Because um, it just wasn't up to the level of Broadway standards in dance, and I take full responsibility for that. I, hadn't, I haven't figured that out yet, so there, there's not a lot of dancing in the show. But the irony is, you think that the whole show is a ballet. You feel like the whole show dances because of the, uh, the sign language. But there aren't any dance steps, per se, in the show. The three of us is are going to work on you about West Side Story, though, just so you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, did, did Ty or, or Phyllis feel that it was patronizing, the nonsuch that was cut? Well, I kind of missed it. <laughs> <laughs> it was fun to dance on stage, but uh, you don't often get that opportunity, especially on Broadway. <laughs> And I am not a dancer, so I understood exactly why it was cut. <laughs> <laughs> and listen, we tried everything. You were pregnant, right? We had you been pregnant. Right. We That's did right. all. We did everything we could for the nun such. But maybe one day I'll, we'll figure it out. And what what's the sign that you guys found for nun such? I don't even know what it means in English, so I'd be fascinated. Phyllis, show us what the nun such sign is. Nun such is this. And what does it mean? What is the literal translation? It means well, nothing. It means nothing. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a sign that we made up. And when you get to the word nonsuch, which of course means that you've no never seen anything means like no it. Nothing, yeah. And the point is that it can't be equaled by anything else. <laughs> right? Yeah. So that's why we had to search for a sign that could equate the meaning that was just expressed here. Something you've never seen. It doesn't mean that it's anything seen visually. So we came up with something like this. And our ASL masters created that, which was great. And it works great, and it's two beats, like none such would be none such, and it worked, you know, and it means nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think, just for, for the, the hearing audience, one of the, one of the things that, that that shows is that, the, that ASL, a, lot, a large part of ASL is the creation of signs for words. I think some people have the misapprehension that, or the misunderstanding that, that sign language is fingerspelling. And, you know, and, and it's very interesting, the use of character names, because I did notice in, in the song Arkansas, where a new element has been entered into, into the show, that it, 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 what I saw, and I may be wrong about this, but there was more fingerspelling in, in explaining the places in that song. I, I find the first time you say a name or a place, you fingerspell it and then you give it a sign. Is that correct? Yes, but there is no sign for the state of Arkansas. Right. So he so it has to be spelled. Right. Right. A R K. A R K. A R K. What state is Yes, but it does have the rhythm. Arkansas, Arkansas. And the actor Ryan does that song so beautifully. And that's why the ASL masters decided to put something in there. No, it's not as beautiful as what he's doing. So visually, let's find another sign that works. Hey, this is the sign that works they chose. And that was the reason we had some signing and some fingerspelling. Yes. It also matched his character. The look of his character matched the way he was signing. There are some signs that on one person don't match the kind of clothes they're wearing. For example, mm -hmm. imagine me wearing a dress. <laughs> there you go. That wouldn't work. <laughs> but... Yeah, you almost did. That's right. right. <laughs> Actually, you did wear a dress at Deaf West. We cut that Originally, as well. Originally, we did. Yeah. We did. And then we... And I don't miss it. <laughs> <laughs> but what's, 
What's the sign for Huckleberry? Boom, boom, the H to your to your shoulder. H to your shoulder. H again to your shoulder. Character sign. That's Huck. Yeah. Full of heart. Which is spelled first and then signed. Right. The me Huckleberry. I mean, this is the song at the beginning that is only. Yes, you spell out just Huck as opposed to Huckleberry. I sign that and then do on my shoulder. I do also have to say what you had said earlier about the set. I, I think it's a wonderfully inventive, creative, funny, silly, and very theatrical way to, to take a book that I think I mean, one of the things that people have felt about this particular show before Deaf West got to it is that it's everybody who loves the, the book has complaints about how it was adapted. So the fact that you're kind of saying, this is a book, we're adapting it, and here's the page number, <laughs> now it. we're one page next, you know, that's all very, but I, I love your point that, it, that the, the spoken word is the, is the common the commonality between between the two languages, mm -hmm. which I think is you know is 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 important, certainly important. And also, what I love about this is you couldn't do this on television or in the movies. This is a theatrical experience. Yeah. This is really why I love the theater. And also, just to show that it's not really about money; it's about imagination. The set you're looking at at the beautiful American Airlines Theater is 95 percent the same set we had in the 66 seat theater at Deaf West. The same ideas. That's uh, I should have brought in this little itty bitty kind of sad, pathetic little model we used because <laughs> you know, there was no money. But it looks almost exactly the same way it looks now. The scale of it, of course, is just bigger. But does it feel the same? Yeah, it feels very much the same. I just do more <laughs> running now. This <laughs> is bigger. A little wider. <coughs> Some member of our audience asked if, 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 if you'd if you haven't seen it on, on the theater, and, and if, if by the time you want to, it's no longer playing, whether it can be seen on television. And I believe it was filmed for the archive at the Lincoln Center Library, yeah. which is a remarkable archive. If anybody doesn't know it, I would urge you all to, uh, you know, to go over there. They have a remarkable collection of Broadway shows over there that you can look at. Um, you, know. you can see both, the, the early one and this oh, one. Oh, is Deaf West mm -hmm. there as well? Mm -hmm. No, you mean no, no, the original, no, no. Oh, the original, the original yeah, River right. and then the right. Revival. Yeah. Right, right, right. Okay, yeah, that's... that's that's certainly good. So, so what's next? What's next for Deaf West? The tour. <laughs> and I think that's, um, uh, that's going to hopefully take uh, our staff of four's time until um, 05. But as soon as that gets kind of figured out, which in the next few weeks I think we'll know a lot more, um, then we'll try to figure out what we can do next. I mean, it's, it really is tough. We, Jeff and Ed and I. What's that? I'm sorry. Cyrano? Is that <laughs> one? I heard that you were doing that. Is that happening? Uh, we haven't adapted it. It's just one of a number oh, of okay, ideas. Okay, sorry. <laughs> I just heard the rumor. <laughs> um, it's, it's an interesting idea. Yeah. Always what we have to do, and this Jeff's been through this process with us a couple times. We, You look at a bunch of lists, and then you take it apart like a Rubik's Cube, I think Jeff called it. It's sort of... Um, there's a lot of things that seem like a good idea, and then you pick it apart and you figure out how the narrative style is going to work, who's going to sign. Um, and if, if it doesn't seem like when you put it back together again, if you haven't brought something to the table that it, that it was sort of asking mm -hmm. for, then you should drop it and look for something else. Because like, as a quick example, one of my favorite shows, the Stephen Sondheim shows, are difficult to do because a lot of the enjoyment of that are the wonderful rhymes mm -hmm. with mm -hmm. his lyrics. And rhymes in the deaf world don't exist. So not every show, you know, the best show, it's about well, the text. Uh, oh, am I, Phyllis? Maybe I said something wrong? Well, I wrong. think it's a challenge. I would say it's yeah. possible. There was another but very... But it's a different form of rhyme. Yeah. 
For example, you can look at hand shapes, the alliteration of hand shapes. Mm -hmm. Muddy water is an alliteration. Mm -hmm. Deep, so muddy water, right. wide, that's another kind of alliteration. So we do have rhyme in sign language, it's just different. It's different yeah. And I remember that uh, at NTD, we did a show by Dylan Thomas, Dylan entitled Thomas. Under Milkwood. And I've forgotten the exact lines, but quite early one morning, the town began to breathe. I, and we had 15 actors on stage, and all of us showed the town breathing. That feels just, I'm sorry, she reminded me of my favorite signing experience I've ever had in my life. I was in LA during 9-11, and um, I was watching on TV in disbelief. And Ed came to my door, and he knocked, and he had a tear going down his face. And we hadn't seen each other since. And he just looked at me and went like this. Well, and it sort of says it all. <laughs> wow. Right. There you go. On that theatrical note, <laughs> um, I would like to thank you all. These are the... Working in the Theatre Seminars of the American Theatre Wing coming to you from the Graduate Center of the City University of New York. Thank you all. <laughs>